0: This podcast is brought to you by The City Church in Mississauga, Ontario. For more information, please visit thecitychurch.ca. We hope you are encouraged by this message from our lead pastor, Frank Coulter. Well we are in week three of our series that we've called uh, you asked for it earlier this year uh, I made it available for you to send in some questions um, and so we've had some great a great diversity of questions that came in uh, the first week we talked about meditation someone asked a question about practical steps uh, for biblical meditation last week we had Tony Cook in and he uh, answered the question "What does the Bible teach about divorce?" if you meet, missed either of those weeks you can listen um, online on our website or on our Uh, podcast and also on our church app today we have a very juicy question to answer and the question is this what does the bible teach about predestination versus free will is it decided before we are born if we are to be believers or do we choose to be believers if we are predestined why would he god not save everyone Woo! Uh, This is a big question. Uh, This is something that is debated and discussed and books are published um, about in Bible schools and Bible schools around the world. This, I mean, this is just a big, big question. So I'm going to spend maybe a half hour, 40 minutes discussing it with you, but it is a big topic in the body of Christ. And, um, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, things deep in that question and I'm going to do my best to try to answer a few of those questions today. You know. For us to understand uh, about some of the things as it relates to this question, you know, depending on what type of church you've grown up in, you may or may not know that there is different uh, systems of beliefs within the body of Christ, um, all under the same uh, belief in the gospel that Jesus is the only way that man is as hopelessly lost and sinful without God and that through Christ, through the gospel message, uh, God provides righteousness through Jesus. Um, But within that framework, within the framework of the body of Christ, we kind of have two sort of um, different systems of beliefs or how that gospel is applied to our lives in a personal way um, and maybe almost in a metaphysical way. Um, And when we think about theology, what we are looking at is man's best attempt to describe to us what is in the scripture. So systematic theology would go in such a way that they would uh, find a system of belief in the scripture and then they would pull all of the scripture out and then someone would write a book And then sometimes some people don't like that position and they write a book against that position and debates uh, Rage on in Bible schools around the world um, But there is basically uh, it's very broad strokes, but there is base- basically two uh, systems of belief within the canopy of the church um, and it would be how I would describe it would be um, Arminian theology or Wesleyan theology. You might have heard it that way um, with the same belief that we are lost without God. We are lost without salvation. And then this idea that God has provided salvation for us and the Holy Spirit comes and he woos us and he draws us by his spirit. And he enables us by his spirit to reach out and to say yes to him. A very theological word to describe this group would be synergism. In other words, the synergy between God's will and man's will coming together, man saying yes to the salvation that God provides. And then this group would sometimes emphasize, you know, the the goodness of God, uh, the character of God, the love of God. And then you would have within, uh, under the same gospel canopy, you would have a, a Calvinistic uh, way of teaching or... Um, Um, or you might know it as reform theology within the context of reform theology You would think of it in such a way the same idea man is lost hopelessly without jesus But instead of having a synergistic view of salvation that it would be a monergistic view meaning mono single Will that god we are so hopelessly lost in sin That we can't even choose to say yes to god that we are just dead in our sin and so god single-handedly the monergism of God—that He reaches down and He causes us to be born again—and when we are born again, then we then have the free will to believe Him and put our trust in Him. And the good thing about uh, the way it is with with these two groups of people that exist in church—we uh, don't kill each other anymore, which is good news. We used to kill each other um, about these differences of beliefs. We just kill each other over politics now, but. Um, that we that we all are brothers and sisters in christ and it's kind of um an in-house argument as it were that you know uh, within your family that you can have uh, varying degrees of discussion about different things like you can only do with your family and depending on your family background, the volume of those discussions can get louder or quieter. But at the end of discussion, you are still all family and that's what uh, that dis- the discussion is like in the church today. We all are trusting Jesus uh, for our salvation within the framework of these two um, theological ideas. Um, But it it helps us if we look to help to understand how are we supposed to put all of this together. If we have this group that believes this, and we have another group that believes this. A lot of times we just try to find um, I'm right, you're wrong, you know, and and vice versa, a lot of different things. Then it just becomes an argument. Um, If this group over here once again focuses on the goodness of God, the love of God, the character of God. And this group over here would focus on maybe the uh, sovereignty of God. Um, both of those things though, we need to know about God, God's sovereignty. What does it mean to us? How does it apply to our lives? The goodness of God, the love of God, how do we understand those things and have them be meaningful in our lives? So we have these two groups uh, that would describe how salvation or the gospel is applied to our lives in a different way. So let's just look at some scriptures this morning and see what we can learn about these two ideas and then to answer our question at the beginning. So what? What one of the things I want to answer today is what does the sovereignty of God look like? Um, sovereignty would, mean, would relate to the idea of the kingdom of God. Within, within God's kingdom, how do things function? And we can learn about this if we go right back to the beginning of creation and see what God says about his creation. So let's turn back there this morning to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. So what does the sovereignty of God look like? What are the decrees... In the kingdom of God? What are the things that are true in the kingdom of God? Jesus came proclaiming the kingdom of God. And then, what can we learn at, once we look at the nature of creation and what God has called man to? What can we learn? Uh, what insight can we get about how God functions with mankind? So, is everybody ready to think a little bit today? <laughs> Come on now, is everybody, is everybody okay to think in church at the 11 o'clock service? You got to sleep in a little bit. You got your eight hours. So you can, you can think along with me as we read these scriptures. So what happens in creation that helps us to understand about um, God's sovereignty and then what he has put in man? So that within the sovereignty of God, within the kingdom of God, that God has created us in his image or in his class. And one of the things that we see right from the very beginning, that one of the things that God has endowed us with is choice. That God has blessed us, similar to him, this ability to choose. And part of the story that we see and know and we're very familiar with in the Garden of Eden, that man and women, Adam and Eve, that God had set up the world, that God, the last thing that God created was mankind, and he had provided all of the earth for Adam and Eve, set them up, gave them a bunch of things ahead of time. God prepared ahead of time uh, for Adam and Eve, and then God created Adam and Eve in his image, and then said, hey, I'm going to give you dominion, or I'm putting you in charge of Of the earth that you haven't you're in charge of the animals and you're in charge of this and you're in charge of everything on the earth. And so there's kind of one answer to the question. A lot of times people ask, why is the world so messed up? Is God kind of doing a bad job managing the earth? No. uh, Mankind is doing a bad job managing the earth. We have dominion, the scripture is telling us here, right from the beginning, this is how God is created in the context of his sovereignty, in the context of his rule where god is in charge that god has created men and women in that kingdom with this ability to choose so one of the you know the big questions that we all, we always might think about or ask why what is the purpose of creation we see here in these verses it says let us make man in our image another uh, a trinitarian understanding of the godhead god the father god the son god the holy spirit that between these three understandings of who God is that there was loving relationship that had existed forever and then within the context of creation that God wants us to have a love relationship with him they asked Jesus what's the greatest commandment in the old testament and Jesus said the first thing he said was love the lord your god with all your heart your soul your mind And then love your neighbor as yourself. So the purpose of creation is loving relationships. But for us to be able to have real and true love, we have to also have the ability to choose not to love. Otherwise, it isn't actually love. If we were robotically that we just had to love, that there was no other option, it wouldn't actually be love. It would be something else. It would just be robots that were created that were doing exactly what they were told all of the time. But for there to be a love relationship, there has to be the option for us to choose something else. And this is what we see right from the beginning in the Garden of Eden... ...that God gave men and women. He gave them dominion on the earth. He gave them the ability to choose. Now, did they choose the right thing? Did they choose the right thing? Hey, God, you know, bless them all and say, hey, but this one tree... ...you know, I don't want you to eat from this one tree. And then what did they do? They went to the one tree that God had said not for them to do. So right from the beginning we see this understanding that it it wasn't God's will for Adam and Eve to eat from this other tree. But what did Adam and Eve do? They ate from the tree that they weren't supposed to eat. Now, you might think, man, if I was Adam and Eve, I would have just listened. Yeah. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That we would have done the same thing, and we do do the same thing. Currently, we don't always make choices that are in line with the will of God. God gives us and encourages us and shows us, and we're going to read some scriptures here that show us this, but then God has also given us a will that we can choose. So the question is, do we really have a choice as it relates to our salvation, or is God just deciding is god just singularly deciding for us to be saved or do we actually have a choice in the matter does god provide something and then we have the ability to choose or is there really no choice at all is god just deciding everything is god deciding everything good and bad that's going on in the world and we're just sort of at the whims and he is the puppet master of all things or is it Maybe, like the scripture is saying right from the beginning, that God has created us in his image. Let's read some verses of scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, very famous verse of scripture. I call heaven and earth to witness against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. What does he say? I put for you life and death, blessing and cursing. And then he says, I'm going to force you to choose life. I'm going to just make you do it. You don't actually have a choice in the matter. You just, you have to choose this. No, this and this and this, these are your options. And then what does he say? What's his will for us? I want you to choose life. That right from the beginning and according to this verse... That we would actually have the option, as endowed within the context of the sovereignty of God, that God has given us a will, the ability to choose. Hey, I'm putting the options, life, death, blessing, curse, but I want you to choose life. I want you to make this choice. I'm going to make the provision ahead of time. I'm going to set up the earth a certain way for you ahead of time, but I want you to choose life. I'm encouraging you to choose life. Joshua 24, verse 15. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. Choose this day, God says. Choose this day who you will serve. That we see this encouragement, this moving upon humanity from God. And then he's encouraging us to make a choice in line with his will. That God makes provision for us. And then he encourages us. He gives us the answers to the test. He said, hey, this is, here is your two options. But, you know, if you're going to make a good choice. Choose the one that I lay out for you. Choose this day who you will serve. And then, it, and then the, it said, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So what about when we think, what are the choices that God is making for us? And then what choices is he giving to us and what choices is he encouraging us to make? So we see God's will for us and then we see man's choice constantly within the same context. God's will for us and then man's ability to choose. Let's turn over to the New Testament, Second Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Very famous portion of scripture. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God. Now, here's something that everybody under the tent, both sides, agrees on. That all of this is from God. Salvation comes from God. Salvation doesn't come from man. We cannot in and of ourselves produce something that saves us. Our goodness, our religiosity, anything you can think of, doing good stuff for people, which is a good thing to do. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But doing good stuff for people doesn't save you. That salvation is from God. Everybody on both sides of the discussion, I won't call it an argument, on both sides of the discussion, they believe this, that salvation is from God. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That salvation is provided for mankind. And then what does God call us to do? What is God's will for us to do? Because we know that salvation comes from God. He says, hey... I want to invite you into this idea that God, man and God, they're reconciled. And I want you to tell the story. I'm calling you to be ambassadors of the message. That I want you to carry this message. That there is no other salvation. There's no salvation through religion. There's no salvation through intelligence. There's no salvation from being rich or from being poor. That salvation only comes from God. And I invite you. I want for you, it is my will for you to carry the message. I want you to be ambassadors of the message that, orig- that religion is useless. All religion is useless. That God has provided a relationship for everyone. He said the world. He reconciled the world to himself. Man, and we get to carry the message We get to tell the message that God has made a choice of salvation for mankind. And then he wants us to make a choice to be carriers of the message, to tell the story about the gospel of Jesus. So God is making choices and then he is asking us to make choices. God is initiating salvation. God has initiated salvation. And his spirit is calling me and his spirit is calling you and his spirit is calling out and drawing each person by his grace. All of what we have from God comes from his grace, from his goodness, that it's just a gift. The fact that within the context of his sovereignty that he gives us the gift of choice. He gives us the gift of salvation. Now, when we think about the gifts that God gives, do even though God chooses these gifts for us, do we always choose these gifts? Let's read an example here uh, in John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Now, within the scripture, another theological term, common grace. Within God's common grace that God gives to every person gifts and talents. Um, certain uh, acumen or abilities that you just have that you're just born with. You know, if you have uh, more than one child, you see this in your children, that one child can do this and has this ability and has this talent. And then your other child has a completely different set of gifts and talents. Where do these things come from? God. God gives people gifts and talents inside the church, outside of the church. The abilities that people have, it's just... It just comes. It comes through common grace. We have grace. God gives us grace. Let's read about it here. John chapter 15, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide. So what does it say? That God chose you. God chose you. And if I were to have a discussion with you, Uh, I could talk with each one of you for about five minutes and just find out what God has chosen you for. What God has gifted you with. And those gifts and talents that each one has, God wants you to be fruitful with those gifts and talents. If you're an artist, and that's a broad term, whatever art that you're gifted in to do, what are you doing with that artistic gift? If you have a gift for business... If you have a gift for science, if you have a gift for math, all these different things that we would think about, whatever way that you are, whatever your bent is, whatever you are gifted to do, what are you doing with that? Because God is saying that he chose us and he wants us to be fruitful with what he has given us. But have you ever heard the phrase wasted talent that, you know, somebody that just has exceptional gifts and talents. And then what did they do? They wasted it. Why did they waste their gifts and talents? Because of choices that they made. Choices that they made. That were outside of the will of God. Because we see here, God chose them. God chose me. God chose all of you. So what are we doing with what God has put on the end? Because he wants us to be fruitful. Are we always fruitful with our gifts and talents? Can we think about different times or seasons or years in our lives that within the gifts and talents that God has given me, I was more fruitful than others? And we would say yes. But what about salvation that God has provided for us? What about this relationship that God has provided for us through Jesus? Now, if you you know, if you grew up in church, you might have a similar story, a story than this, you know. Um, at different times in my life, you know, being a teenager in church, you kind of go back and forth and you're kinda like, yeah, yeah, I like church, and like I hate church, and like, oh, I'm not sure I believe, and ah, I believe, and then you know, sometimes you'll you'll sit in service after like a wheat of like straight up sinning. Do you know what I'm saying? Any church kids out there want to admit it? Liars? Hey just straight up church kids sinning you know what i'm saying and then you're sitting in church and your dad is preaching and it's really exciting um <laughs> so you're there in church and then somebody prays a prayer uh you know for the holy spirit to convict people or for the holy spirit to draw people and you're sitting there in church after your week-long sinning escapade and your heart is pounding under your chest and you know you need to make it right and you know you need to get yourself right with god And at different ones of those weeks, some of the weeks, you know what I did? No. I'm not doing it, God. I don't even care. I don't even care. You can keep keep coming on me with your spirit. I don't care. I'm just going to do what I want to do. And then the next week I would show up. And the Holy Spirit would be on me again. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? What was I doing in all of those weeks? God's will for me was this way. And what way was I going? This way. Even though that it was his will, I was contravening. I was going contrary to the will of God. I was going the opposite way. God said, go this way. And I was, I'm like, no, willfully sinning. But then I would show back up at church and I would be in a context where people are praying or, you know, that you would, you would have a moment where you had to think about God even though you didn't want to think about God. And the Holy Spirit would be there drawing me, wooing me, calling me back home. Why? Because God provides something. This is the nature of creation. Not just the creation of the world. It is the nature of salvation. That God provides something ahead of time. And then he says, there's this and there's this. You get to choose, but you should choose this. You should choose life. You should choose following me, God says. Because the best life that we we could ever imagine is in the context of a relationship with the one that has created us, who knows us better than anyone. It isn't the worst life to live, it is actually the best life. Lining up, God is calling us. He has chosen us. And not just one, and not just a few. He's chosen everybody. And He's calling everybody to line up, not just with your gifts and talents, but to accept everything that He's given to us. Grace, blessing, salvation, it's going He says, this is my will. We can, we have the choice. God has endowed us with choice to line up our lives with his will. So who, for whom does God provide salvation? Is it just a few? Is God just picking and choosing and we just happen to be some of the lucky ones? Are we, you know, like we're sort of God's favorite and so he just made the choice For us, the singular choice, you know, just his will, that monergistic choice that he's just making that choice on our behalf. Does God just save a few? Does God just provide salvation for a few? Let's read a few verses, shall we? John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the few, the chosen ones, for God so loved the world. That he gave his son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God loved who? The world. Who's in the world? Silly question. We need to think about it though. Who's in the world? Everybody is in the world. For God so loved the world, not just a few, that he sent his son. That whoever, whoever, whoever believes in him. Should not perish, but have eternal life. Something that God provides. A will, the will of God for us. And then we see our choice in the same verse. John chapter 12, verse 32. Jesus is speaking here. He says, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw. How many people? All people to myself. Who is he drawing? All people. He's drawing all people. That by his spirit, before you told somebody about Jesus, God was there before you got there. God draws and woos and loves and chases. We were singing about that today. With his goodness and with his love and with his mercy and with his salvation. So before you got there and told somebody about Jesus, God was there by his spirit. Because Jesus said, I'm drawing all people to myself, all people, not just a few, not just the special ones, not just the ones that re- are religious enough, but he's drawing all people to himself. First Timothy chapter two, verse one. First of all, then I urge that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions that we may live a quiet and peaceable life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our savior. Verse 4, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for who? All, which is the testimony given at the proper time. God desires that all would be saved. It is... His choice. He has made the choice. How has he made the choice? He's made the choice by making the provision. And then he calls us to choose what he has chosen for us. I'm telling you to choose life. Choose me. It is his will for all. He wants he's all to be saved, not just a few. And then Jesus gave his life a ransom for all. And that's good news for us today, isn't it? It's good news for us and it's good news for all that we would tell the story about Jesus. Titus chapter 2 verse 11 says this. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. This is... What we see over and over and over and over and over from Genesis 1. That God makes provision for mankind. Physical provision. Gifts and talents provision. And then he also provides salvation for us ahead of time. And then he wants us to choose that. He wants us to choose salvation. He wants us to choose his will. He has made a choice for us so that we have the ability to choose Him. To choose love, to choose His goodness. But He has made provision for us all. See, God calls us. And this wonderful choice that we get to make is this choice of faith. We saw that in in John chapter 3, that He wants us to believe. Romans chapter 10, verse 16 says this. But they... But they have not all obeyed the gospel. How do we obey the gospel? The good news. Something that has been done for us. The gospel is not good advice. The gospel is good news. It's news about something that has happened. How do we obey the gospel? For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us so faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ so when we hear this wonderful blessing of faith comes our way that we can put our trust in God that I'm no longer trusting myself for my now and for my eternity I'm putting my trust in God how do we obey the gospel we believe it Sometimes it's so simple that people miss it. Well, what do I got to do? And what do I got to look like? And what do I got to dress like? And what do we got to do in our church services? And what do we got to do? And what do we got to do? What do we got to do? It is done. And then we have to believe it. Believe that it's done. Put our trust in him. He tells us the message so that we can hear something. We can hear something about his will, about his provision, about his salvation. And then we have this wonderful choice to line ourselves up with what God has already provided. It is, it has been this way since the beginning of time. God makes provision and then he invites us to make the choice that he provides for us. So what has God predestined us for? What are we predestined for? What has God decided? That's what the word predestined means. It means decided ahead of time. What has God predestined us for? Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And for those who are called according to his purpose, called means invited. It doesn't mean forced. Verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, decided ahead of time, to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And for those whom he predestined, he also called, he invited And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Go back to verse 29. It says, for those whom he foreknew, in other words, God knows the end from the beginning. He also predestined, decided ahead of time to be conformed to the image of his son. That God decided ahead of time that the best life for us to live would be to be conformed to the image of Jesus. He already decided that. That is the best way to live. There's no other life better than being Christ-like. And if we would take a moment and we were to admit it, we say the moments that we are most Christ-like... That we are both loving and forgiving and grace-filled and aware of the broken people around us. That we can bring love and healing and grace in those moments, uh, Christ-like moments. That he has predestined ahead of time to be conformed to the image of his son. That he wants us to be like Jesus. He's decided that. And if we could have a historical case right now for Jesus. That Jesus is the person in history that has impacted the world more than anyone. For the good. And that he wants you to be like Jesus. He's calling you. He's showing you. He's there. He's drawing you. He's wooing you. To be conformed to the image of his son. So, what should we do with this wonderful gift? What should we do with this thing that God has provided for us? That He's made provision in life, He's made provision in the earth, He's given me gifts and talents, He's provided salvation for me. What do we what should we do? We'll finish with this: Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. We all agree on this. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You are predestined. By God's will and by his spirit and by his power to bring the kingdom of God wherever you go. To bring the goodness of God, the love of God, the forgiveness of God, the healing of God, the teaching of Jesus. Everywhere we go, he has created you in Christ Jesus, which God prepared beforehand. He decided ahead of time. For you, that the best life to live is in Jesus. Amen. That I'm going to stop trying to measure up to what everyone would try to have me to be. And I'm going to stop thinking low of myself. That God actually has a destiny for me. That God has called me not just the famous preachers, not just the TV preachers, that God has called all of us ah, that we could do good works, that we can bring his love in the church, outside of the church, in our communities, in our schools, at our jobs. You are predestined for that. He has gifted you for that. He has saved you for that. Thank God. Let's pray this morning. Father God, we just thank you for your goodness today. We thank you for your salvation. Thanks for listening. If you need prayer or would like to share how this message has impacted you, please email info at thecitychurch.ca.